0: From the PSIA ASI Shelter-at-Home Studios in Netherland, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, and today we're having a great chat with Jennifer Simpson. Uh, now, Jennifer Weir. Jennifer, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It's a beautiful day in Minnesota, so I'm just looking out the window and excited to have a little chat with you.
0: Now, Jennifer, you caught me off guard when uh, yesterday we were going to connect, and <laughs> I realized you were on Central Time, not Mountain Time. So what do you do in the off-season?
1: For the last 18 years, I've worked as a nurse in the emergency department in one of our Twin Cities hospitals. And actually, this summer is the 20-year anniversary of me getting out of nursing school. So, yeah, how about that? Two decades.
0: Now, how is... (laughs) How does that, I mean, to go hand in hand with a a career in skiing as well, how do you juggle the two?
1: There was definitely a transition time. I started off as a full-time nurse and gradually reduced hours from benefits earning to a non-benefits earning position that happens to have a policy written in a way that I can work as a casual nurse and basically spend six months in Colorado and then six months back in Minnesota working as a nurse and doesn't break the policy. We just manipulate it a little bit.
0: Now, how does that work for you mentally? Is that a good break from one to the other?
1: You know, honestly, the, the, the mental side of it is probably the best benefit of having the, what seems like two very different jobs that by the time that fall comes, I am 100% ready to get out of the hospital and switch to something completely different. And by the time that spring rolls around and I've got sore little lumps growing on my feet and really want my boots off, (laughs) I have something else I can flip into where I feel like I'm really able to make a difference, you know? And I think that's something that I believe all of us in recreation, I think, I think we all want to make a difference so you know switching back to the hospital being able to do that job is uh it's pretty incredible
0: now what but again
1: w- i couldn't do it year-round
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was it like for you this year though when you saw coronavirus coming it started to be in the news and uh did you realize something was building that you know was going to take quite a bit of your time
1: you know when there's, this ends up being a very a changing story from time to time of when I first started to see this virus emerge and I I thought, well, we'll get this thing contained and it'll just be like the H1N1 flu when that came out or like SARS MERS when it came out. I thought, okay, we're gonna lick this thing and I actually I probably poo-pooed this thing more than I should have. And it was on my radar. But in in March, when I think we all or most of us began to realize, you know, this thing's coming and it's likely going to have a significant impact. My opinion started to shift a lot and I thought, well, gosh, um, I think I'm going to be working a lot. And actually, in the back of my mind, I started to wonder what's happening in Minnesota. Should I be finding a way to substitute some of my April activities and get back there to lend a hand? I was starting to feel really torn you know, looking at academy and team selections and asking the question, well, what if this thing hits hard and impacts my community in April? What's the right thing to do? Where should I be? You know, and then I think for all of us in Colorado and across the country, when mid-March hit and our ski areas closed down, while well, those choices became pretty easy. I didn't have work in Colorado, so back to Minnesota we go.
0: Was there any difficulty in getting travel at that time?
1: No, no trouble with travel, and I drive to Colorado. Ah. So for me, I didn't feel exposed returning home, but the the last ski event that I did was up in Fernie, British Columbia, doing a project for Ski Magazine, shooting an e-learning course. And... We were up there skiing powder and trees. It was fabulous, but throughout the five days that we were on site, everyone on the crew was having cancellations. I had a booking canceled. The, the videographers and photographers were losing gigs, and I, we all started to really see the huge economic impact that this, that this virus was causing, that this disease was you know, wrecking havoc in our lives financially. And I think that was the time that the reality really hit for me. And we all, we were watching to make sure that there wasn't going to be a border closure between Canada and the U.S. And we were flying out of Calgary Airport. And when we went to that airport, it was a ghost town. And I'm sure many of our other members' experienced travel during the same time of one week going from normal operations to, boom, just vacancy and quiet, moving to a major airport. It was bizarre.
0: And then what was it like to go back to work in the ER?
1: Yeah, when I came back to work, it was the same type of strange quiet where we had already in our system canceled elective procedures. We were trying to conserve resources, maximize hospital space. And while I've never been through a hurricane I imagine this has got to be what it's like to live in a coastal area where you see a hurricane out in the ocean and you don't really know where it's going to go, but you're pretty sure it could impact you. So you get ready. And maybe if it's a brand new house that you just moved into, you might be doing things like buying or building ways to shutter your windows to protect them. And that's what it felt like when I returned to the hospital. We were trying to figure out what is going to be our protocol. Is there a way to modify our... Our ambu bags for breathing for patients so that we don't aerosolize this virus more. You know, are we how will we manage flow through our department? And during this whole time, we were expecting to be busy, but it was quiet. We we didn't see the normal patients who we would see, and we certainly weren't seeing a lot of folks come into us with the symptoms that we all associate with the COVID-19.
0: And what is this like for you personally, Jennifer? I mean, you're around this, you're exposed to it constantly every day. Um, any concerns, fears? And I know that sounds like a stupid question.
1: No, I don't think it is a stupid question because I think it's a question that we're we should all be asking ourselves. You know, taking that little time to look inside and go, "Hey, how am I doing? Yeah, you know, how are the people that?" are in our network whether it's social distance or in our houses right but I think asking ourselves how are we doing is important and when I came back to Minnesota we had a very deep conversation my husband Matt and I about should I return to work so he has a very strong fear of germs and doesn't like to talk about disease or see people suffer right it's it's and which is funny, he married a nurse. So there are a lot of things I don't talk about with him. But but we had a really heart to heart discussion just going, well, what is the risk that I'm potentially being put in as you know frontline ER provider? And you know, we threw the question oh, up of should I even go back to work? And of course my answer was, Well, yeah, this is exactly what I should be doing and where I should be and Number one, if I don't return to work, I'm not going to have a job there in future years. So I need to toughen up and we need to figure out how to make this thing work. But so, so we've had some funny conversations there. But, you know, for me personally, of when I'm at work, I would say I very rarely find myself afraid or thinking about exposure. Um, but I can tell you every single time I put on my N95 and I'm heading into the high risk section of our department i triple check that thing and you know i I definitely send vibes and hope that i've got a good seal on that baby and that my ppe is working because i don't want to get this thing (laughs) and but will i most likely i'm probably going to catch COVID 19 and but i want to I don't want to spread it to anyone. I don't want to give it to my coworkers. I don't want to bring it back into my house, you know? So so I have more that that fear of contracting this illness from a side of I don't want to give it to anybody else. And that's been my biggest concern. It's that, that social responsibility side to go, I know I'm getting exposed. How can I manage... And uh, how can I manage... Or minimize the risk to others because of where I'm putting myself every day as far as an emotional check-in there was a day a couple weeks ago when I was just beat up and run down and it's a little headachy and I just didn't feel great I didn't feel sick and I knew I had taken care of a patient who at that time I suspected was going to test positive and ultimately did and and I knew I'd done all the right things, right? I, I was wearing the PPE that at that time we were told we should be wearing, and I didn't feel wonderful. And then I started to feel guilt, and I thought, well, should I tell Matt? And the answer was no, not until I know. <laughs> so I drank a lot of water and less coffee and moved around and took a little bit of extra emergency and still wasn't feeling better. So I was pretty nervous that I might have had this thing or that I was getting it. And so I did the ultimate test that, you know, any of us ridiculous outdoors people would do. I thought, well, I'm going to go for a run. And if I feel okay running, I'm probably okay. And I took a run and came back in. I felt great. And the rest of the day, I was perfect. So I was having one of those days where you're a little broken inside, you know. But any time that I have a little tickle or a cough or a sneeze and I feel beat up, I think, oh, gosh, is this good? Am I getting it now? And that is not something I've ever worried about taking care of patients in the ER before. But honestly, it is something I probably should have been worried about in the past.
0: Jennifer, you remind me so much of my friend Muffy who we talked with uh, about a week ago who went through COVID-19. I'm feeling sick. I think I'm going to go for a run.
1: <laughs> yeah, her her story is incredible. And I, I honestly think I have of all the information that our our members that we can all go listen to, go listen to Muffy's story. It is it is fabulous, and I cannot wait at some time to bump into her and just experience her toughness. Oh, that's incredible.
0: Now, Jennifer, one thing you said uh, you were saying before you were feeling a little ill that you were wearing the PPE that the hospital recommended does that change? Um, Because as we've talked off record, uh, you have talked about flexibility and said that quite a bit.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when we've talked in the past, we've talked about flexibility in, in our beliefs, yours and mine over time about what we think and what we feel related to each of us trying to prevent spread of this disease. And in the hospital, I think We've likely all been reading stories about what's going on across the country and hearing tales about not enough PPE or the wrong PPE or people feeling like they're not protected. And unfortunately as well, healthcare workers who have gotten really ill and healthcare workers who have died, and by that I also include EMS and Anyone in the public service jobs, right? Of folks who are out there on the front lines in any capacity who are getting sick and dying. And, and the question that we have is yeah, what are the precautions we should be doing? And what is the PPE that we have available to do those precautions with? So we've had, since I've returned to work, in the beginning, we had very frequent changes as, here's what we're going to do, here's what you should be wearing with this type of patient, here's what you should do with that type of patient. And and I think what's been required is flexibility from staff as well as flexibility from the hospitals to keep watching and learning and changing. And we've had to be, or for me, I've had to be open-minded and accept and try to have belief that what I'm doing is keeping me safe and keeping my patients safe and keeping my coworkers safe. And that is, that is really hard to put away sometimes my personal opinion and do what's being asked of us. Uh, And in the ER, anybody who's spent a little bit of time around EMS and police and fire (laughs) ER staff, we're pretty opinionated and vocal crew, and honestly, we tend to be a little bit change resistant. But I tell you what, our whole department has become so flexible and so mobile, and I'm just really proud of what's going on and how we're managing <laughs> that change side of things that we've not been great with in the past. It's, it's really incredible.
0: So, Jennifer, it sounds like what you're doing at the hospital also sounds like kind of an attitude we need to have uh, ourselves. What do you do when you're not at the hospital?
1: My household, we've made a decision to try to stick to some pretty strict physical distancing and social distancing, whatever you want to call it. We're trying to stay at home as much as we can, which are, the, which is the guidance that we've been given by our state. And, you know, Matt and I, are, we're rule followers, so it's not surprising that that's the choice that we make. But it's been tricky to do that. and And it's really brought up some fascinating discussions between a couple of my friends and my husband and I, just going, well, what is the right thing to be doing? Should we be hunkering down and closing our windows and staying inside or or should we be trying to do some of the things that we do on an everyday basis or should we be out there free in society there's, there's a wide range of choices that we can make right now and boy the targets and decisions around those are I, my opinion changes frequently and so what we're doing right now in our house is We're trying to limit our contact with others, um, in part because I'm a healthcare worker in the ER, and my exposure is pretty significant, even though I'm wearing N95s most of the time, depends on the patients I'm working with, and and I'm doing meticulous hygiene (laughs) to stop the spread and to keep myself and my patients protected. I'm, I'm still high risk. So we're staying in and we're staying away from others because we feel like it's the right thing to do right now but i don't know when that's going to change i don't think it's sustainable forever for our household and it's tricky
0: it really was driven home to us just this past weekend my daughter who's in seventh grade online (laughs) school she's doing online ballet had ballet performances canceled and uh, a friend down in Boulder really wanted to see her. And we were talking about their social distancing and everything in the mask. And uh, because Amelia hasn't really been out of the house for about eight weeks. And uh, this was going to be her first trip down to Boulder. And the the family had had friends over. And it really put a choice there where it was like, oh, my gosh, we've got to have our daughter have some interaction and we came up with a way that was very satisfactory for, for all of us. But at the same time, that was like, gosh, this is a choice that I've never even thought of having in my life.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's so different. There's an interesting side of this. too. of are families out there and individuals out there who this is a choice that they have to make frequently because of their health situation. And we're not talking in times when COVID-19 is spreading around, but in everyday life, I have a medically fragile niece who has a heart condition and her family is fabulous about trying to protect her because she gets really sick with simple things that don't affect others, you know, and and it is really odd for us, George, to, you know, look at our healthy health, healthy households and make decisions about protecting ourselves from, in, in a way we've never had to before, Right. It's just so different. We have. We've been doing Sunday evening gatherings with our little friend group via WebEx or FaceTime or whatever we can find. And even in that small group of friends that gets together, we've got uh, a pretty wide range of how folks are managing their choices about masking and interaction or or isolating. And it's it's created a really low level unease when we come up with discussions about what the rest of us are doing and there's a friend who i walk with we wear masks we keep our distance between us she's a healthcare worker as well and we know another person in our group would love to join these walks and do some things but they've been much more liberal with their interactions and and it's it's just very bizarre to have to choose who you're going to hang out with and how you're going to do that based on perceived uh perceived exposure and risk and and I realize there's a conflict in this and I feel it in me of I'm probably the most at-risk person (laughs) to bring this virus home and here I am you know potentially judging our friends who are much more interactive than we are And, and it's it, it's a challenging thing to manage these emotions and feelings about the choices other people are making.
0: So, Jennifer, any words you have to say to our membership? I mean, we are all a lot of people—people people who love interacting.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, well, it might be cheesy. I think if we can manage ourselves and and our situation not so differently than we would manage a lesson, I think we can come out of this thing really well. And I think we can come out of this thing intact. And, and that's going to require us, I believe, to do a few things to take care of ourselves and to do a few things to take care of others around us. So here's an analogy. In a lesson, if you have a student who's struggling and they're trying and, and they're failing and they're getting frustrated, what would we do? are we going to blame them <laughs> or, or, or tell them, well, yeah, that's not good of it. Just keep trying. Are we going to do that in a compassionate way uh, to try and take care of them and support them as they're going through this really tough time? And I think we all know that we're potentially in some pretty tough times right now in lots of different ways, whether it's a financial toughness or an actual health difficult situation where one of our family members or maybe us personally have this thing or, you know, or, or forbid, we have someone who who loses their life to this illness. Like we're going to be going through some tough times. I think we have to really be compassionate to ourselves and others, and and uh, and just treat us with that gentle touch that we would give our students. And there might be times where it's a bit of tough love, right? And it might be that type of compassion. But I think we need to really look for those opportunities and you know, give a little bit of space in this. And I think we need to be kind. You know and take it easy on ourselves and don't beat ourselves up if the choices that we make change over time or don't beat ourselves up if if we make a choice now that we look at later and go well that was foolish right we're trying to do the best that we can with the information that we have and the resources that we have so you know be kind to yourself I think another thing that we can do is just try to be considerate and try to see other people's side and viewpoint and recognize that the decisions that we're each making are our own decision. Um, this, This is a tricky one for me personally because the decisions I'm making aren't as much about me. I'm trying to make them about others because I personally, I don't know how I would deal with it if I caught this virus and passed it to someone else and they died from it, right? And as a caregiver, I have to every day have that little fear that I'm going to be at the bedside of someone who dies while I'm holding their hand who's contracted this virus, right? But that's, that's something I take on as a caregiver. But my decisions are based around those fears and everyone will make decisions based around different information and different emotions for them but I think we have to try to see other people's side and there's a book I read Radical Candor Uh, Kim Scott is the author of that and there's a a bit in there where she recommends when you're having a disagreement with someone to flip and have the individuals try to argue the other person's side on it because through that you learn a little bit and you, you still might not agree but then at least you've expressed potentially what that other person is going through. And, you know, that, that might be a skill that we can try because I do want to come out of this with a really tight community that we've had. And I want us to maintain our friendships and relationships with, you know, with the people who we've always cared about in the past. And I don't want the differences of how we manage this to come between us. So I think be considerate can be something we can practice.
0: Well, Jennifer, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us today on First Chair.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity, and, you know, I just, let's not touch our faces, let's wash our hands, and let's just try to take care of ourselves.
0: You know, take care of ourselves. You've made me think of a a walk I had around the neighborhood about a week ago. We had a big snowstorm. Someone was backing out of their driveway in a Toyota Prius and uh, knew they were going to get stuck, and they did. And um, it was just fun, though, to, to look up at a, a stranger and ask if they needed any help and have a friendly exchange back and forth, which may sound silly, but it, it just felt good.
1: Yeah, George, that that story just it rings home of you know, in these weeks of trying to protect others and stay away from them those little moments of connection to other people those little everyday moments are they've just felt so precious when they've happened you know, there's a, a couple of weeks ago I went for a run and I'm not a runner so it's not an impress- impressive thing but I'm out there for a little bit and trying to make the most of it and trying to make sure people know that I'm not at risk of actually having a heart attack but I set a little challenge for myself of seeing how many people I could get to engage with me, whether it's through a smile or a high or a little wave. And that run was the most enjoyable run of my springs so far. And I like to hope that, you know, maybe I made a little difference in people's day that day. Because, I mean, truly, you can't spread this virus with a smile and a wave. But you can spread better things. And, and I've encountered folks who s- seem so afraid and, They're cowering behind a mask or turning their back and trying every day just to reach out and try to have those little special moments with people like we did before. And we can't let, I hope that we don't let all of our protective measures get in the way of just being human, right? It's just a beautiful thing when it happens, and I hope we really appreciate it even more than we did before this virus came into our lives. It's just there's there's a specialness when we connect with people and i think that's what each of our each of our members it's what we each do every day out with our guests and you know while we're not skiing right now i think we can try and find some ways to do those same things
0: well jennifer thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today on first chair really appreciate it it was wonderful talking with you
1: oh george thanks so much for the time you know stay healthy stay safe and I just can't wait till we all can get back together again.
0: From the PSIA, ASI Sheltered Home Studios in Netherland, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.